Welcome back, everybody, to the Wrong Foot Podcast. We are going to have a look at what happened this week in the World Cup. I am Rich, here with my fabulous co-host, Joe. Joe, how are you doing today? Um, doing all right. You know, those uh, semifinals weren't uh, all that we had hoped, but I do think we have a somewhat, uh, you know, fantastic final. And I think we at least have that to look forward to. Um, but yeah, I would say the the two football matches we watched this week were uh, not as not as thrilling as we had hoped. Oh, for sure. And before we get into it, Joe, I got some big news. Uh, the Wrong Foot Podcast is online. We have a website. There's not much on the website yet. Figuring out what I'm going to do with that. But the wrongfootpodcast dot com. Check it out. I think. Go I ahead. think what uh, one of the first articles we can put up there is. Um, I'm currently trying to create a comprehensive list of every movie that I've ever seen. <laughs> and I haven't even reached 100 yet. So I've been thinking about it for about a, uh, a week, and I've, every time I've thought of a movie, I've put it down. I've tried to go chronologically. So okay. you guys can all laugh at how uh, horrific and uncultured I am based <laughs> on uh, my horrific movie interests. Yeah, and then the follow-up will be me doing mine, which I don't, I don't know that mine will be much longer. I'm not a big movie person, so uh, uh, I don't think I have a long, extensive list. I, I often get told, I can't believe you haven't seen X um, a lot. But yeah, Spoiler well, alert. Uh, my list is uh, a repugnant amount of Disney movies. A repugnant <laughs> amount. Yeah, mine's probably like probably about a quarter of a mine are probably like the Fast and Furious series, just because there's so many of them. <laughs> I seem to have seen all of those and not much else. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we can get into that on our website. Uh, we'll build that out as it goes. We're also on Twitter at WrongFootPod, so give us a follow. Um, I make bold predictions like Croatia winning their game 1-0, which obviously didn't happen. Um, and I also share articles and, and whatever else is going on in the football world. So so give us a follow. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, wherever you're listening to this, you can get it on the website. There are links to the different podcast carriers. Um, maybe, Joe, one day we can play a game of what is a real uh, podcast carrier versus a fake one. Because some of these I had never heard of, um, but apparently our podcast is on there. So we have a link on the website. So check that out. Um, and yeah. don't forget to send any email and any correspondence that you would like to, to the wrong foot podcast at gmail.com. Load us up with any questions, concerns, or anything that we missed that you think we should cover. And we'd love to do so. For sure, for sure. And on that, we give us some ideas. We uh, Obviously, we're coming towards the end of this World Cup. Um, our plans for moving forward will be to move shift gears to the English Premier League as a main focus. I don't know if we'll go into the amount of detail of, of every game uh, each week, but focus on some. But if anyone wants us to focus on anything in particular, let us know. Always welcome to, to ideas of how to move this podcast forward. So, yeah, send us your thoughts. Uh, Speaking of that, did you happen to see the the map today of the most searched teams uh, on SportsReference.com by not. state? Oh, well, we can we that can be a <laughs> jump off point for next week because there are some uh, just kind of absurd choices here. Uh, some MLS and predominantly Premier League team, uh, Premier League teams, but there's two or three states that. Uh, <laughs> stick out quite a bit okay so maybe yeah we'll check that out after we wrap up the final next week um so let's get into it joe uh our first 
quarterfinal, uh, semifinal. Enough. Sorry, we've delayed enough. Yeah, I was going to say we've uh, we've tried to pad out time because I don't know if we'll have a lot to talk about with this first semifinal, uh, Argentina Croatia. Uh, I saw it as a bit of a chess match for about ten minutes, um, and then <laughs> nothing really happened beyond that. No chances, kind of in that 10 minutes or even up to kind of about 20 minutes, Argentina starting to enjoy the ball more. And then quick, quick break. Alvarez gets the, the penalty in. And from there, it was plain sailing uh, for Argentina. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, so I think first uh, I uh, I picked uh, Croatia to win this game on the pod. So uh, <laughs> that looked great. Uh, about uh, 40 minutes in, I felt great about that choice. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you kind of said it. Like, the, it was a bit of a slow beginning, um, but I, I thought it was somewhat even. It wasn't necessarily that different than what we had anticipated. Um, but I think obviously the game kind of turned on, as is so many times the case, uh, just a goal. And this goal happened to come off of a Lionel Messi penalty um, due to a interesting uh, penalty decision that I, I you know, I, I look, I, I think we know how um, how how much a penalty changes the game, and you know the percentages are so high, and so sometimes something that you know isn't necessarily a huge offense but if it is a foul in the penalty box it's kind of overly punished right Mm -hmm. but i do think in this case it was uh it was a penalty uh obviously is entitled to come out for the ball but uh you know he was beaten to the ball so you know alvarez was coming in and uh and i just think that you know as you should when you're a goalie you try to make yourself big as as lukovic did and unfortunately, Alvarez was there, and he, and he, you know, tripped over him. And I think, you know, it's look, we don't want games to be decided by penalties. We want games to be decided by goals and open play. And unfortunately, that didn't, you know, the first goal was off of a penalty. But I don't think the ref really had too much of a choice. Um, your thoughts think, on that? Yeah, I think like Livakovic doesn't really move, so I kind of give him that. Like he comes, he makes himself big. And then Alvarez somewhat runs into him. It's not like he sticks a foot out to trip him, um, but he still brings him down, right? Like it's, it, I don't know what Livakovic is supposed to do in that situation um, any more than than what he did. Um, but it's just one of those things. I think, like you say, it's it's always going to be given as a penalty. Also, the ball, like Alvarez wasn't going to get the ball afterwards. He kicked it in the opposite direction to where he was running, and there was a defender there. So, kind of had that argument as well of like, well, the ball's got away. But seeing how the rest of the game played out, I don't think, yes, this probably shifted the momentum a little bit, but I don't think we were ever really going to get a different result. I think, uh, like you, I predicted that Croatia were going to win this, and I finally stopped saying that I think their legs are going to catch up with them. Whereas in this game, I think their legs did finally catch up with them. Um, But yeah, I think. I don't know that I would have been shocked if the penalty wasn't given, I guess is my point. Um, I'm also not shocked if it is, so I don't really know where that lands. Like, if he, if the, I don't think there would be great debate that it should have been a penalty um, if it wasn't given. But yeah, it's like you say, it's kind of sad. The, pe- the penalty itself was a class, but like, no keeper is, in the world is saving that penalty. Uh, Messi just showing his brilliance yet again. Um, and then he carried that on throughout the game. Um, he had kind of a, a half chance, of, like the first chance of the second half, but Livakovic stayed strong and we kept them out. And then, you know, the, the run from Messi for the, the third goal um, was just showing 
his class and how he can basically take a game on his back. Any other thoughts kind of generally as this game went on? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the second half was kind of like a coronation. Um, there wasn't too much of real note. Uh, I think Argentina controlled. It's not like Croatia had that many opportunities. Uh, you know, they had it wasn't it was a double substitution to start the half, getting Orsic and Vlasic on, uh, and then they brought on Pekovic soon thereafter. But none of the changes that they made really had an impact. It was. Um, you know, I, you know, I think it's easy to say it was their legs. I, I think that's probably the safest bet. <laughs> um, just to say, like, they just, just ran out of energy. Um, unlike four years ago, this is a much older team. So, you know, I think mentally, you know, the penalties from back-to-back games, beating two very good oppositions in Japan and Brazil, um, I just, maybe this was just a little bit too much to ask um, to cut them to summon up enough energy for a third knockout stage game. And I think that could very much be the case, especially, you know, when you're down, when you're in a game, it's, it's nil nil. You're only a goal away. I think it's, it's easier to summon that effort. But when you're down to, you're playing Messi, you're playing Argentina, the crowds against you. I just think it was a tough spot. And, mm-hmm. um, I think it led to just really a, a subpar second half from, uh, you know, the, from a neutral's point of view and also obviously a Croatian fan's point of view. Yeah, they didn't have much left to give that second half and it was just, it seemed to be, like you say, it was just a procession to the end and um, there wasn't even like kitchen sink time of them throwing stuff. Like, they were just not in it. They just didn't have it. It didn't feel like... Um, what are your thoughts on... I know we were in a group chat and then a lot of people were talking about this is all penalties faults because if there wasn't penalties then maybe Brazil would have we would have had that dream semi-final um is this what we get for rooting for underdogs sometimes that the longer they go they're gonna they, their luck's gonna run out eventually I mean I mean you know it's I mean that could have happened at any point though I mean Argentina is only here because they want on penalties against the Netherlands they blew mm-hmm. a 2 two nil lead uh late uh, thanks to uh, Vutovekhorst as a <laughs> tremendous brace. So, you know, I think, look, it's very easy, especially for Americans, to blame penalties for everything. But, I mean, would we have gotten a better game if we had seen Brazil play against Argentina after playing 160 minutes against uh, Brazil? I mean, uh, against Croatia? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just, look, I mean, someone's going to make penalties, someone's going to miss penalties. You know, you've had 120 minutes to decide. Sure, you know, a lot of times penalties are a 50-50 proposition, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, someone makes it, someone doesn't, you know? So, um, you know, I, like, I think the bottom line is <laughs> we wanted to see Brazil-Argentina. We were denied of that, but I, I don't really blame penalties for that. I mean, Brazil had a lead in that game. They couldn't keep it in extra time. They didn't have, what, they had, what, 15 minutes to see out, and they couldn't. So I'm not going to blame penalties for that. I'm going to blame uh, Fred. Yeah. (laughs) Solely Fred. No, that was my point. I was like, Brazil weren't good enough. And to your point, what was the proof that then, if Brazil had won that penalty shot, yes, like, obviously on paper, Argentina-Brazil, it's a big matchup. It's a big rivalry. A lot of history there with all the different Copa Americas and, and, you know, their proximity to each other. But there's no proof that that game would have been any better than... You know what Croatia gave. Wow, um, I, you I would hope they would. That. I disagree with that. Just just Brazil versus Argentina would have been 
just just having those teams play, just the hype, the build up, it would have just been awesome. But what I mean is like the performance, like Brazil could have come out and been just as sure, as Croatia, sure. right? Like I think, sure. um, and yeah, it's not penalties fault. It's Brazil's fault for not being good enough to beat Croatia. Um, but even yeah. if it was a crap Brazil Argentina game, there would have been yellow cards galore. True. You know, yeah. been, you know, so someone would have kicked. Look, someone but you know what? Croatia made the penalties that they 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 should have. They got the goal to claw back in, uh, and you know Brazil blew it. So I'm not gonna blame the Croatians. It's just. Uh, it's just what could have been from a neutral's point of view. For sure. And do you have a winner of this tie? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Julian Alvarez. I mean, this is someone who now has four goals in, uh, at this World Cup, only behind Mbappe and Messi. So there is a, a realistic possibility he wins the Golden Boot come Sunday, or at least shares in those honors. I think, you know, this is a guy who barely plays – no, I shouldn't say barely, but it's more of a squad player for Manchester City. I mean, he he has played a full 90 a few times this year, but generally, you know, is kind of in the lineup half the time, is subbing, you know, coming off the bench half the time. So I think um, it's been a really good World Cup for him, obviously making the final, but providing the four goals, basically it's him or Messi uh, scoring every Argentinian goal. So – uh, he's going to be my winner, your winner. Uh, I'm going to go a little out of left field here and go with Pep Guardiola. Um, I wanted to go with Alvarez, but yeah, not only does Pep Guardiola have Alvarez now alongside Haaland, um, both who are very young and very talented, um, you know, there's not much more that he could want from, from two center forwards. But also, I don't know if you saw the story that came out this week that apparently... Um, they were in training just before the World Cup and all the different players were talking about the World Cup and they asked Pep who they thought who he thought would win and he just pointed at Alvarez and said that guy there has the best chance of winning so you know the guy's a genius he's even predicted that Argentina are going to win the World Cup and they have a very good chance to do so so I'm going to say Pep Guardiola is my winner here how about a loser in this one uh, I'm going to go with Brazil I mean uh, they came so close against Croatia obviously blowing the lead and then uh, losing on penalties, uh, you know, tapped off by Marquinhos, uh, boinking off the post. But, uh, I mean, this is your great rival in the semifinal, kind of a walk in the park to get to the final. And it really should have been you there, and it really should have been the two giants of South America tangling in the semifinal. Uh, but could you? But because you couldn't hold a 1-0 lead in extra time, you know, your arch rival is going to the final. Uh, without you having any say so i mean i, I can't imagine being a brazilian fan right now because uh if messi wins in his swan song at the world cup that's that's got to <laughs> be a real gut punch for them yeah yeah my loser i'm gonna go with croatian defender sosa he uh didn't have the best first half he was obviously subbed at halftime uh the second goal he literally just kicks thin air instead of the ball um, leaving Alvarez to, to progress with the ball and, and score. I just thought he uh, he looked a bit out of his depth throughout the game, well, throughout the first half, and that's all the chance he gave him. And I think he wished he could probably play that 45 minutes over again and would never be that bad. Um, yeah, so we'll move on to the second semifinal. A bit more excitement in this one, I'd say. Uh, a bit more fun for the neutral fan, France versus Morocco. I texted you before this one saying... I was a bit conflicted. Obviously, Morocco would be a great story to win, but my fear was if Morocco did win, then do we see a final much like Argentina's semi-final? Um, obviously, we'll never know now. Um, your thoughts on France-Morocco? Yes, I think like, this was, you know, 
the first game was 3-0, this game was 2-0, but it was a much more competitive game than the scoreline indicates. And I think the fascinating thing about this is, obviously, France scored the early goal in the fifth minute. They score something that Portugal couldn't do in 90, something Spain couldn't do 120. Um, I don't think even, I don't think Belgium scored on Morocco either. I think, I believe Canada is the only team to score on them from open play. Yeah this tournament which is you know funny in itself but um you know i think what the fascinating thing about this game was you know france likes to you know kind of play on a defensive under the shop kind of be more on the counter attack and let give the opposition the ball and it's fascinating because that's how morocco normal, normally plays but once morocco got down a goal they obviously had to become more aggressive and try and get a goal and really, they became the team that um, had to try and, you know, kick up play while France sat back. And I think the fascinating thing about this is Morocco actually had some success uh, against the French. And that's not necessarily something I anticipated. Um, when when France scored the early goal, I felt like the only way Morocco was going to get in, get back in it, is if they kind of had a Australia-like or United States-like goal from the round of 16 where something just kind of knocks off somebody's body some way and it kind of ricochets into the net. I, I figured that's how this game was going to kind of be get back interesting after those first six minutes. But Morocco really played well. I think they they held possession well. They were able to create numerous chances in the box. And the bottom line is they just don't have the the poacher up front. They don't have somebody who you can who can get you that goal. Uh, as you know, as great as Buffal is. As great as you know, <laughs> Kimi is, they just don't have the finishing touch, and I think that that really hurts when you're down one nil and you're chasing a game, and you just you just don't have anybody to finish you and exploit some of the weaknesses on the French defensive line that we've seen um, in almost every game. I think they've this is the first game all tournament they didn't give up a goal, and it wasn't because there weren't opportunities; it's just because Morocco couldn't really finish them. So. I thought that um, even though France won, I think this was um, – if you're a French fan, I think you have to be slightly apprehensive about this performance. Yeah, I think uh, Morocco were definitely dangerous from set pieces, a few good corners, a few good free kicks. Um, like you say, they didn't really have – like it was good good delivery, but they didn't have someone just to kind of direct it in, into the goal um, or get their head on it. Um, but, yeah, I think, like you say, I think if you are – Looking ahead to the final, um, there are opportunities to score. We thought after the England game that maybe the way to score against France is just make their defense do something stupid and give away a penalty or a dumb, dumb foul in the box. But I think this game showed that there are ways that you can open them up. Uh, you can, like, if with good delivery, which obviously Messi is one of the better passers of the ball. Um, what what kind is of he? danger can he create? Apparently, that's what they tell me. Um, no, I <laughs> haven't seen that. That's what Twitter says, anyway. Um, oh, <laughs> so right. it must be true. Must be true. Yes. <laughs> um, you got yeah, I, th- rich. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Uh, yeah, I think France were ha- would have been happy to go in one 0 at halftime. I think uh, Morocco definitely got themselves back into it, um, and then came out the second half just the same as well, and were really kind of pushing forward on the front foot. And then when they took Giroud off, I thought that was actually a really good substitution. Um, it kind of changed the game. I think he came off around around the hour mark 65 minutes around then um and they kind of 
sat back a little bit more but controlled the ball while sitting back and kind of started to enjoy a bit more possession that's when they then get the second goal um Mbappe kind of probably could have won three penalties breaking some ankles in the in the penalty box just zigzagging and somehow gets a shot out that obviously a perfect deflection that rolls nicely into Muani's uh path and he'd literally just come on first touch I love I love when someone scores with their first touch after just coming on um and that kind of then saw like I don't think Morocco were ever going to score two goals but um, yeah, hats off taking off Giroud because obviously it's only 1-0 at that time. Uh, you, you kind of think, well, if Morocco get a goal and then you've taken off one of your better strikers, uh, it's it's a little concerning. But much like the England game, I feel like it may not be pretty and it may not be dominant, but France still won. They still kept a clean sheet. They're in the final. Um, and until someone beats them, I, I think they're very good and they are probably the best team in the tournament. Um, which is easy to say now they're one of two left, but I think it's... Yeah, especially it, without what? Six yeah. guys that should be in the squad, maybe three of their four best players. Yeah, it's kind of it's scary to think if they were like a fully fit squad. I don't know every every team has injuries and whatever, but I think France have the most notable um, like actual starters. Like you say, maybe three or four that are guaranteed on the team sheet every week if they're healthy, not playing, and they still have made their way back to the final second World Cup in a row. Um, and like I say, I, I think they just can control games. I, I did think they missed Rabio in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's someone who, um, you know, just kind of controls the game. Um, and they're, especially with no Pogba, with no Kompembe, with no uh, Conte in the midfield. Uh, I just, I think their midfield can be a little bit had. Um, mm-hmm. But even despite as well as Griezmann has been playing. But, um I think that's kind of the one weakness on the French side. Um, so it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I'm not crazy about Argentina's midfield, so I don't really think, you know, when we preview that final, I think it's going to be kind of interesting to see who kind of controls that midfield because I, I think I actually, even though I said it was a weakness for the French, I almost kind of give them the the benefit of the doubt over the Argentinian midfield. Um, but I think the one thing that I want to point out uh, as well um, is you know I'm I might be a little biased here because I had the over bookings in this in this <laughs> match, but uh, Ramos, the Mexican official, um, he just didn't want to call anything. I mean, the one yellow card he gave to Buffal in the first half was not even a yellow card in my opinion. No, two guys just four, ran into each other, <laughs> and there were about four or five subsequent clear yellows that he just uh, decided <laughs> to keep it in keep it in his uh, pocket. So uh, that was really tilting. I mean. Yeah. I've watched enough Liga MX football to know that uh, sometimes the referees don't uh, don't uh, don't call yellow cards. And uh, I mean, this was this was as clear as day here. I mean, I was I was almost kind of mystified at some of those. I mean, there was one I forget who it was a Moroccan player, like in the 70th minute. I mean, a guy you know, Frenchman's attacking, and he just clearly brings him to the ground. Oh, just a regular penalty. I mean, just a regular foul, like you know. Just bizarre. I mean, they were called. He wasn't even calling fouls. I thought could have been yellow cards. It was, it was kind of stunning his uh, his performance. But I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, yeah. When you I have think... referees from all over the world, they're going to call the goal. They're going to call the game differently. And I think I think he did well to like. I don't think it was like the end of the Argentina Netherlands game where like both no. teams hated the ref. Um, I think there was no real complaints. You know, there's not the penalty like. Uh, Modric went after the ref from his game, basically saying, I've been in his games before and he's like a disaster. Um, so they're not the best of friends. Whereas this ref, I think he, while he probably could have called a bit more, he also 
wasn't that egregious and I think he let the game flow pretty well especially that probably suited Morocco a bit more just through their kind of wanting to be pushing and the wave after wave so um, I didn't think it was terrible I also didn't have money on booking so um, yeah I can I can understand your pain on that what's your thoughts on uh, how they've got rid of um, yellow cards carrying over into the semi and if you get another yellow in the semi you can miss the final what are your thoughts on that I th- no, no isn't there a clean slate that's what I mean. Like they got rid yeah, of. They yeah, yeah. used to. I've. I've got. I'm very opinionated on this. Much like the scheduling, and I think it's silly that they get rid of the clean sheet. Like you either, you either don't get suspended for bookings, or you do. Like I don't get why you give a clean slate at the semi final round. Wow. It basically means no one's going to miss the final. Right, and that's why they do it. They don't want any of these teams to be down anybody in the final. But, like, um, but wouldn't you want no one to be down a player in the semi final? Like if they get booked in the quarter final. Uh, for sure, from, I agree. From arrest, I mean, like I, handing out look, nineteen yellow cards in a game or whatever, like I don't know, like I it mean, just seems like it's either got to be one or the other. Yeah, I think. I mean, if if you get a red card and you miss the next game, I don't have a problem with that. But mm-hmm. other than that, I think you need at least three yellows to miss a game or something. I mean, I, I just why do we why are we why are we going to kick out players for tactical fouls? So yeah. I get maybe it leads to a more uh, clean game or you know pack and forth game where there's less tactical foul so i do understand maybe having some limitation i just think it's a little unbalanced right now yeah because i mean look at these look at these two games right everyone had a clean slate going into the final and i don't think either these games were like a rugby style match so i don't know no it didn't mean like oh we got a clean slate so let's start kicking each other like that didn't happen and i think to your point the the ideal kind of middle ground is you put like okay if it's three throughout the whole tournament or four throughout the whole t- tournament like in the premier league you get five bookings and you miss the next game whatever it may be um but yeah just to i, I don't get why one knockout stage should be different uh to the next uh but you know i like to have my opinions on pointless things that really don't matter that much um who is your winner of this tie um, um who's my winner um I'm gonna go with the um, I'm gonna go with the Moroccan fans. I was torn between them and a French counterpart, but um, you know I think the Moroccan fans have just brought so much to this tournament. Um, a dream run to the semifinal. I think their team battled for them. Unlike you know what we saw from Croatia, I think this Moroccan team just kept fighting, kept battling, and um, I think that's in large portion due to their vociferous fans and. Um, I think it's kind of amazing. You think of all these, you know, countries. I mean, are, uh, you know, France and um, Croatia, and just all these more known soccer nations. But yet you have a a country like Morocco here in in, in Qatar, and and you know, over you know, I don't know, maybe eighty percent of the stadium is pulling for them. I think uh, it was a it was a uh, incredible sight to see, and I think it, it did add something that I think in large portions this World Cup has missed due to its location, due to the issues with ticketing. So um, I think there was, you know, we needed the the Moroccan fans in this game. You? Uh, Didier Deschamps, I think, like I say, is taking Giroud off, I think, was um, a lot of managers wouldn't do that in a 1-0 game. Um, And I think it did kind of give France a bit of a handle back on the game. Um, I think you probably go with anyone in the French team. They, they play well. Uh, Griezmann again. Uh, he's got my vote for for Golden Ball. 
Um, he's not going to get it in any chance in the world he gets it, even if he plays a blinder in the final. But I think uh, storylines aside, he's been a class act in this World Cup and has basically uh, dictated that midfield of France is me- missing some key parts. And he's, he's stepped in and stepped up really well, uh, looking better than he has for a long time, probably since moving to Barcelona and all of the disaster that kind of followed that. Um, just an honourable mention, uh, as you mentioned, the Morocco fans, I believe this was the first World Cup uh, that England and Wales fans did not uh, have one single arrest. So they're breaking records. Not a single England fan or Wales fan was arrested at this World Cup, which I think has never happened before. So hats well, off to those um, fans. But I don't think there's many of them there. To my understanding... <laughs> No Welsh fan has been arrested in the World Cup since 1956. So. <laughs> 58, 58, come on. Oh, whatever. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the England fans behave themselves. It's amazing what happens when you take away alcohol from people, um, you know, and, and also make it insanely expensive for anyone to get there. So, uh, yeah. Who is your, your loser of this tie? I'm going to go with uh, Kareem Benzema because it's come to light that says Deschamps took over in 2014, uh, or I think 2012, actually. Um, the the 2014 um, World Cup, they did not make the final. Benzema was on the squad. 2016 Euro, they made the final. Benzema was not in the squad. 2018 World Cup, of course they win. Benzema was not in the squad. 2020 Euro, Benzema's back in the squad. Loses Switzerland in the round of 16. 2022 World Cup, Benzema's out of the World Cup due to his injury. France is back in the final. So I guess Benzema is the reason why when they don't make the final, well, they don't it, make the final. Interestingly, though, he's actually still technically in the squad. They never replaced him, and he could technically play on Sunday if he wants to. So, ju- so just healthy. change what I said to play. <laughs> don't, don't ruin my nice little factoid by, by like over a little uh, transgression like that. Yeah. Come on. Do you think? Do you think we see him on Sunday? Do you think he? Uh, that would be very out? dumb. As, as a Tottenham Hotspur fan who, <laughs> you know, made the Champions League against this 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 rudderless ship from from North England. Um, <laughs> you know, then the final big debate was, oh, should Harry Kane play? Should Harry Kane play? He hasn't played in, I don't even know how long it was anymore, a month or two. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he just looked like clear rubbish. I just, I think you're just asking for too much to, to have a guy who hasn't played in, what, like a month to yeah. get out there in, in the biggest match of the year. I mean, I suppose if you're down one nil late in the 90th minute or something, you want to throw him on for five to ten minutes, I'm not going to kill you. But I, I definitely would not start him, and I would not play more than 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah, and I think you you hit on the head there. Like, they're not struggling either for goals. Um, why kind of change the balance of the team? Um, that's got you this far already. Yeah, maybe put like you say, put him on the bench. You can make a cameo if you know you're a goal or two down late in the game. Just throw him on because like, at the end of the day, he's still a proven goal scorer. But yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think we see much more than that. Uh, my loser here, you kind of alluded to it. I uh, I had my losers. Anyone who bet the over for yellow cards in our group chat, I think there were a few people um, that had bet the over for yellow cards, and there were definitely enough challenges to win that bet. But the referee kept his card in his pocket, and as you've discussed, uh, so yeah, those are my losers of this game. Um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll now move to look ahead. Uh, there is a third place game, uh, Joe. I don't really have a lot to say about this. These games are pretty unpredictable. Um, I think the only thing I'll say about it is if the Moroccan fans stick around, I, I favor Morocco in that one just from kind of having a stadium rooting for them and. Um, you know, they're kind of enjoying the party. 
Croatia, they finished second last year. Do they care about finishing third or last tournament? Sorry, finishing third this time around. Is it when we see all the players who haven't played so far? Who knows? Uh, you got anything on the, the third place game? Uh, it's better than nothing. <laughs> yeah, it'll be something to do on Saturday afternoon, I guess. I'll have it on in the background uh, on one screen somewhere. Um, just to well, see. Well, keep happening. in mind 10 a.m., 10 a.m. Eastern time. Oh, right. It's early. I forgot. Is that what I forgot they moved these to the early time? So that's perfect. What, what else are you going to be doing at 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning? Um, uh, oh. <laughs> okay, so we won't belabor that anymore. Uh, we'll move on and take a look ahead to the final. So we have France and Argentina. Oh. A good, a good final. Ten o'clock Sunday morning. Uh, is kick it? Off. Is it a good final? You, you yeah, not happy I mean, with the this final? This was a round of sixteen at the twenty eighteen World Cup. How good can it be? <laughs> I think it's uh, it's probably better than Croatia. Well, Croatia France was the last final, so. Um, yeah, 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 that's I, what I thought. That's what I thought. <laughs> I think uh, it should be good. I think uh, of the four High teams, brace. should um, be good. It should be good. Well, you never. The problem with finals is like it happens with the Champions League quite often. Uh, these big finals, um, you know, the earlier rounds produce some brilliance and some excitement, and you get to the final, and, and no one wants to make the mistake. It's all very cagey. It's very tight. Um, you know, the only way I see Argentina winning it is from a dodgy penalty in like the 62nd minute, and Messi will score the penalty because that's just how Argentina win games. Um, other than that, I think. France probably have a bit more quality and depth um, and, and should go on to win. What's your thoughts about the final? Yeah, so based um, you know, on the odd screen, <clears throat> this is basically a pick em. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, both teams are basically even, um, which is a little surprising to me. I, I did think, I, you know, if I were betting, I'd do, I, I would make France like a minus 125, minus 130 slight favorite. Uh, I may wind up betting that very small come Sunday morning but you know I like I I think France might be slightly better but I I mean you have to say like Argentina's coming off uh, you know probably their most complete performance of the World Cup and you know how much of that was to do with you know Croatians fitness we'll never know but um, you know Argentina feels like they're kind of on an upswing while France I mean you gotta feel like you know the quarterfinal against England, they were probably the second best team despite winning in 90 minutes. And we saw even in the round of 16 game against Poland for what large swaths of that game. Um, Poland were, you know, in the ascendancy. Um, and I think, you know, even in, in even in matches like we just discussed with Morocco, they, there were large portions, especially in the second half before Giroud got taken off, where Morocco were kind of in control and we're coming very close. But the bottom line is France won all those games. So I think, um, you know, it should be a very interesting final. It's somewhat rare to have a final that, that that's this balanced. I mean, obviously in 2018, France were that the favorite. Um, 2014, Germany, Argentina on paper looked pretty even. But Argentina, I mean, Germany had just come off the drubbing of Brazil 7-1. <laughs> so that became less... <laughs> that was, you know, more lean toward Germany. I think 2010, Spain, Netherlands was pretty even, so I think this is similar to that. Of course, 2006, France, Italy, the famous uh, Zinedine headbutt. Zidane headbutt. That was a very even encounter as well. So I think we're I think we're in for a very tight game. I think no matter what, it's going to come down to a goal or two, uh, a goal here or there, and, you know, maybe penalties, maybe extra time, who knows. But I just think it's going to be an even game either way, and, 
I mean, we can kind of talk about <laughs> the legacy, and I think both these teams, there's there's a lot at stake. So I think you can probably, if you want to start on Argentina uh, and what they have at stake in this World Cup final. Well, I think uh, it's it's the story of the World Cup and the fairy tale ending for Lionel Messi, who said this will be his last World Cup game, which is not surprising. I don't think he had to say that. Um, I think, obviously, there's talks of him being the greatest player of all time. Um, he's not my greatest player of all time. I also am not that upset if anyone ever calls him that because he's obviously had a great career. And, you know, seeing some of his performances throughout this World Cup, it's undoubtable that he has a lot of talent and can change a game single-handedly just with one run, one pass, whatever it may be, one goal. Um, he he has that and he's been great. Um, just before we go to kind of the French side and you know both these teams have also only won two or I shouldn't say only because not many teams have done it but they've won two World Cups each so whoever wins this uh, obviously goes ahead onto onto three World Cup wins uh, do you think Argentina have actually played anyone that good in this World Cup and that's with all due respect to the teams they've played but I think Croatia they are playing at the end of a, a long run um, the Netherlands no one had rated um, up until kind of any throughout the tournament at all um, and kind of said that they were one of the more underwhelming Netherlands teams uh, Australia gave them a decent match and you know they were, the, they were the fairy tale to get out of the group they obviously lost to Saudi Arabia which it was the longest odds um, pretty much of any matchup so what has been Argentina's biggest test uh, to get this far in your opinion? You'd have to say the Netherlands. Um, I mean, look, I think their draw, I mean, their group, I mean, I think one of the reasons Argentina was so favorite is because their path was so straightforward. I mean, mm -hmm. they they got uh, fortunate, I suppose, with the group that they were dealt in after the Saudi Arabia loss. I don't, I mean, Poland made the round of 16, but I, I really, I didn't see much from them. Mexico is obviously a team, you know, in CONCACAF qualifying that was really struggling. And, you know, I think in the round of 16, they got a gift because initially going into the tournament, we thought that was probably going to be Denmark, um, right. who maybe even knows, maybe France. And now, obviously, that's a World Cup final. But they got a bit lucky with Australia, a team that shouldn't really have troubled them. And look, I think the, the Netherlands are a quality team. I, I'm not going to take anything away from them in that performance. I thought it was good, obviously, when the Netherlands got the big boys on. They changed the game. But I'm not... I think, you know, the Netherlands is a quality win, and even Croatia, I mean, I'm going to give them credit, even though I think, you know, Croatia kind of gave in uh, in that second half. Croatia, I mean, Argentina still put them in that position to do that, so, right. you know, I, I mean, I, especially once you lose your opening game, it's hard not to be uh, impressed with um, Argentina getting back to the final. Yeah, and like... You you can only play the teams that you that are in the draw against you, right? Like, so I, I don't. It's not their fault if they had like an easier route, but um, I do think France probably have had a bit of a harder test. Like we've seen them against England, grind out a victory. Like you say, probably the second best in that game, but still did enough to win. Uh, even this Morocco team um, caused them some problems, but they still kept them out. They still won two nil and, and got to the final, but. Um, yeah, and like I say, a final is a whole different world. There's different pressure involved. You don't know how some players are going to kind of show up in that moment. A lot of these players have been there before. Some have not been there before um, in, in big games. So 
yeah, what about the the French legacy? What do you think about that and, and what it means to them if they, if they can get the title? Right, so I think obviously a lot of the talk is about Messi, Messi, Messi. He's going to be the GOAT if he wins the World Cup. If he doesn't, he stole the GOAT, but we're going to act like it matters. <laughs> uh, either way, and there's, you know, that's kind of the whole, you know, narrative that's being pushed. But I think this, this French storyline is somewhat incredible as well. I mean, obviously on an individual level, Mbappe has the chance to win two World Cups at the age of 24, which is which is insane. I don't, I mean, Pele, I think, might be the only other person. I don't know who's done that. I'd have to look that up. Uh, maybe Olsen can fact check us on that but um i think the bottom line with this french team and i don't think we necessarily realize it but this is their fourth world cup final in the last seven yeah this is a team that obviously won on home soil in 98 (laughs) they lost in penalties in 2006 to italy obviously 2018 they were back and they won in 2022 now you know we're here again making four world cups in seven years (coughs) is a tremendous achievement and this is really, you know, obviously, you can talk about Brazil, you can talk about Germany, but I mean, France has really been the best, best footballing nation in the past 25 years, and there's really no doubt about it. Um, you know, obviously they lost the Euro at home in the finals in 2016 as well. Um, I mean, they haven't necessarily had the European success that they have at the World Cup, which is a little odd, but this is a team that is so talented. We've seen them. I mean, we, we, we've talked about, you know, the injuries they've had. Pogba, Contempe, Conte, uh, Benzema. Those, those guys are all out, and they're still here. They yeah. still might be the, the deepest team. And the funny thing is, they don't necessarily dominate you the way Deschamps plays. It's more of a defensive style. It's more conservative. And it, it came back to bite them occasionally. But you know what? It's worked more often than it hasn't. So it's hard to really have too much to say against it it's not the prettiest style but it's effective yeah it's very and like I think, get, sorry go ahead and just the one last thing I have to mention Hugo Lloris has the opportunity to be the first guy ever to captain two different teams to the World Cup glory so you know that's that's a you know I mean to be the first ever to do something is always is always an amazing accomplishment yeah, and Deschamps is he. I think he was the second manager who'd been a captain of a World Cup winning team, and then mm-hmm. um, then coaching them, and then obviously now he's looking to be. I think only the second coach that's won back to back World Cups as well. So that's a big storyline there. But yeah, to your point, I think France. You know, they get the job done at the end of the day. It's like Italian teams we've seen in the past. You know, it's never always the kind of flashy football that you see from some of the South American teams or anything like that. But it's the end of the day, if it's about winning the World Cup, do you really care? Like as a fan of that nation, would you rather play amazing football and lose in the quarterfinal, semifinal? Or would you like to be kind of organized and not always look the best, but still be in the final with a chance to win it? And I think, you know, we've seen German teams like that in the past as well, where they'll just grind out victories and it's never the most appealing thing, but it gets results. Uh, so I think France have that. Um, anything else to say on the final? Well, I mean, let, let's take a little bit easy with the Italians. I mean, they won two <laughs> World Cups in the 1930s. They've won two cents. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Well, considering only eight teams have ever won it, and not like, you know, England have only won it once. Uh, yeah. It's, it's like, it's not, um, it's not I'm like not we're talking it's about not different a great teams. Accomplishment. <laughs> no, but I mean, let's just keep in mind. They won two titles in 1934 and 1938 
Yeah. And people still sure talk about Uruguay. People still talk about Uruguay winning the World Cup, and he won the first two and have done nothing since. So. Right. Because what else uh. do you talk about Uruguay for? <laughs> but nobody, nobody's pretending that Uruguay is uh, the greatest <laughs> team ever. Like some people think with the Italians. Uh, uh, I didn't say they're the greatest team ever. I just said that they're very organized and don't play great football, but still win World Cups, which is that's that's factual. Well, uh, they don't even make World Cups anymore. True. So very. They've they've done it now. They completed that. Yeah. Why bother? Why? They why can't be North themselves? Macedonia at home. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah. Anything else uh, on the final before we start to wrap? No, up? I think. Look, it's it's one of the more exciting finals we've had. We're never going to have this uh, situation, arguably again, where um, the best player in the world is in his final World Cup, looking for his not the best player in the world anymore, but one of the best players in the world in history has the opportunity to finally put the cherry on top of their career, and he's doing it against the defending champions, a team that's been the best team of the last 25 years who's gonna win and and let's not mention the french team also has arguably the best player in the world right now who has an opportunity to win a second world cup at the age of 24 i just think it's uh it's a very appetizing storyline uh heading into the final and i think um i think it's gonna be fun no matter what i think it could very well be cagey um especially the way both of these teams can play at times but I think no matter what, it's going to be close and it's going to be nerve-wracking towards the end to see who scores and who really kind of changes football forever. Yeah. And uh, if, if, if Messi wins, uh, is he the greatest of all time? Do you already have him as your greatest of all time? I, I, look, I, I mean, I know people like to have those debates. It's a fun <laughs> debate. I just I can't really partake in it. I mean, I, I can see he's the best of his era or not. I think... Um, I think it's actually very close between him and Ronaldo. Um, just because Ronaldo, what I like about Ronaldo is his size and his ability to head the ball so effectively. But, I mean, if you put a gun to my head, I'd probably give the slight edge to Messi. But, look, I don't know how you compare Messi to what Maradona did. I don't know how you compare Messi to what Pele did. I don't know how you compare him to what... You know, Gigi Buffon did. You know, I just. Yeah. I mean, how do you compare a goalie to a to a forward? Uh, obviously, defensemen never get uh, the credit that they deserve. Uh, you know, Friends defensive midfielders, defensive midfielders, do they get the credit they deserve? So, yeah. like, you know, and and I mean, we're almost guilty a little bit because you know we've talked in our chats how great Griezmann is, but he hasn't finished the he hasn't because he, he hasn't scored the goals. He kind of gets forgotten a little bit. So, yeah. Um, you know, I think it's going to be. An incredible game and you know with, no matter how you feel about these two teams i think the storyline is tantalizing and um i just hope it's a clean game and we're not sitting here debating a penalty or var decision yeah. um on the next podcast because i think that'd really be unfortunate for sure um okay so before we wrap things up there's been uh, a few jobs lost following this world cup seeing a few coaches uh, part ways either voluntary or involuntary i feel like these days it's more a bit kind of voluntary i think they know it's coming so they, they kind of step down um so we've got belgium obviously brazil mexico spain which i believe has now been filled ghana and south korea all kind of coachless right now uh there's also talk around what's going to happen with southgate in england uh what's going to happen with triple g usa uh your kind of thoughts of which jobs are appealing and which jobs are kind of poison chalices that you should stay away from 
So uh, so with Spain, I think the first job we should talk about is Spain because that's been filled, as you mentioned. Luis de la Fuente, who um, I actually had to look up because I was very unfamiliar with him. Um, besides the fact that I knew he called the youth team, uh, he coached the youth team. So he's recently coached the under 19s, the under 21s, and the under 23s. Previously, before that, he coached Athletic Bilbao in two different stints in 2006 through 2011. So this isn't really a, a manager with too much pedigree, but he has been in the system, and we know how Spain, Spain of any national team, has a way that they play, a way that they always want to play. Possess the ball, possess the ball, pass, 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 set up premium opportunities, and hopefully finish them. Yeah. So um, I, I don't really have too much to say about the hire because I, I don't really know much about him. So it's hard to say that. Obviously, the Brazil job is – who wouldn't want that job? I think Portugal is also another top-tier job. We saw how much young talent they have. Obviously, João Felix, you could go on and on. Um, almost the way he played. So – and they're, obviously Bruno Fernandes is still going to be around. So I think that's a really appetizing job. It's a job where we've seen such a defensive manager. It would be fun to see what a more attacking-minded manager would do. Um, I think Belgium is kind of a, difficult, a really difficult job. I think, as yeah. you mentioned, that's kind of the poison chalice. Um, you have Kevin De Bruyne, but what else do you have? You have uh, like the old guard. You have Vertonghen leaving. You have Alderweireld leaving. Um, Hazard, both Hazards probably out of the picture. Lukaku might hang on for a little bit longer, but um, I think that's a job that you know looks better on paper than it actually is. Um, Mexico, I think that's another one that's going to be an interesting choice. Um, Ghana, who knows? Um, in South Korea, I like the football they played, but again, I think that's not necessarily a premium job. And right. you know, the Asian Cup isn't. <laughs> up there with Copa America or the Euro. So that's a job you're really kind of waiting for in four years from now. So, yeah, um, I, I wouldn't say, say much more than that. Then, like I say, like you say, Belgium, I would avoid, um, even if they offered me the job, I, w- I wouldn't take it. I think it's, uh, yeah, you're just basically setting up to fail. Um, Brazil is somewhat similar as well. There's always such expectation around the Brazilian squad. Um, and as we've seen of late, they haven't been able to deliver for for some time now. Um, but it's still, like you say, if you get those the the wealth of talent, uh, it's it's a hard job to turn down. I think Portugal, that role probably has the most for a, an instant impact. Uh, when you look ahead to the Euros, uh, kind of Jose Mourinho. Yeah, there's talks that they want him to. Uh, they no, will give it no. to him. You know, oh. give it to, if you want to talk about grinding out victories oh. and, uh, you know, boring us into a title. See, uh, now I think he could be a great international manager. I just don't want him managing this Portuguese side. Right. Yeah. He's I'd much rather have talent. him, <laughs> you know, if he could manage a, uh, in Italy, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Or he can take the England <laughs> job and carry on Southgate's uh, defensive uh, nature. Um, but I, I do think all these managers, they've all had varying success. I think Chiche obviously has to be slightly disappointed not to get him over the top. Fernando Santos won the Euros. Um, Luis Enrique, I think we talked about in previous podcasts, we were very disappointed in his performance. Roberto Martinez, I think the time had come so i don't think any of these openings surprise us i think tato martinez i thought it was surprising to me that um it did it worked out as poorly as it has but you know i can't really blame 
the Mexican Confederation from moving on. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, none of these are surprising. I think, you know, going forward, like we've talked about, Southgate situation's interesting. You know, he's tactically maybe lives a little bit to, to be desired, but he's been so good um, rebuilding the English morale and unifying the team and really, for the first time in my lifetime at least, creating a a uniformed, united English team opposed to, you know, the the the, the Roy Hodgson era or the um, Sven Juran uh, Eriksson. Exactly. You know, um, you know the, oh, Fabio. Fabio Capello. Yes. Yeah. You know, Sam Allardyce so, for a week. Um, wow. <laughs> that, Sam Allardyce. Uh, so yeah. So I think England is going to be a very fascinating job to watch. Can you do better than Southgate? I've heard some rumors about Pochettino. I just just because he's a name doesn't mean it's going to work. And then yeah. obviously, uh, sorry, just thoughts, the, so before we before we go into USA, I think uh, yep. the the thing I say about England is like there's there's not someone waiting in the wings that you think oh like this guy will drastically change things and mean that we do go on and win. And by we, I mean England, not a team I follow. Um, but I I don't think there's enough kind of coaches out there that they're really going to change that much from Southgate Southgate obviously consistency helps sometimes he's respected by the players he's not always respected by the media and the fans as much but the players always have great things about like you say they've actually it's an England team for once as opposed to an England compilation of stars that kind of are there for themselves and you know we're talking about this player can't play with this player and whatever um, so I, I don't think with with what's out there and what's available, um, I would rush to to move on from Southgate because I don't know what is next. Um, but we'll see. Uh, so USA, there's been some uh, some drama coming out of Camp USA following the World Cup. I'll let you uh, I'll let you go into it. Self inflicted drama. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think I was predisposed thinking Berhalter was going to be back after his performance, but it was still kind of up in the air. But what he's done uh, late, he, he kind of he didn't mention the player, but he kind of said, "Oh, there was a player that we almost had to send home because he was acting so insubordinately, and he was, you know, not, you know, providing enough effort and was kind of moping around." And so it wasn't hard to connect the not the dots to see that was Gio Reyna. And so Gio Reyna comes back and tells us, you know, his side of the story and says, you know, before the World Cup. Greg Bullerhalter came to him and told him that he was going to be a small piece of the World Cup. He wasn't going to have a major role, which is something that I think is just fascinating. A coach would say to, obviously, I think the most talented player on the team, if not one of the top two with Pulisic. So to tell one of your best players, like, oh, we don't really have a big role to you. I don't understand how that's going to have a positive impact. If anything, you should say, we're going to see how it goes. Give me all you got in training. And we're going to get you as many minutes as possible. There's so many better ways to handle that than to say, well, just so you know, you're probably not going to play that much. And then I guess, you know, even Reyna admits his actions after that were poor. He, you know, he, he kind of was moping around because, you know, this is something he dreamed of his whole life. And now he's being told he's going to have a bit part. So I think that there's obviously clear tension there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if if Triple G remains, how that relationship uh, works out. I mean, I mean, in my opinion, you, you got to go with the player over the coach here, uh, especially with the way Triple G has. I mean, even though he's he's kind of done what he's always supposed to do at every point, whether it be 
Nations League or Gold Cup or even this World Cup, you cannot, you, you can't have such a poor technique in handling the most talented players on your squad and just say, oh, well, I can't really find a role for you or, oh, I, I just, you know, I don't like the way you've done this or this, so we're going to kind of cast you to the side. That's just not how you handle a player. So um, it'll be yeah. interesting to see what happens in the coming days. Yeah, I think even even if you're thinking that and you're kind of struggling to see in the in the formation you want to play or the setup you want, where a player fits in, it's like, you don't say those things, right? Like, like you, it's just like what positive comes from saying that? It's just going to get people's backs up and then it's going to divide a camp of, you know, pro this person versus pro that person. And it's just, it's just causing a mess. And uh, going back to kind of England players of the past and you think, uh, you know, the whole can Gerard and Lampard play together? And that was like a storyline for about 10 years of England squads. Um, and it was never productive. It was never helpful. And uh, it, it doesn't help. So I don't know what Greg was thinking by doing this and, and what positive there was going to be. And then, you know, they, you can say, yeah, the player still needs to be professional. Like he's not guaranteed a spot this and the other. But your coach is basically saying, no, nah, I don't want you around. Like, why, why should you then act? like you want to be around if, if your coach has said that so i think it's yeah it's caused unnecessary tension and if he does stick around like you say going into to future qualifying tournaments and, and whatnot uh it's going to be interesting to see the dynamics there and you know does he does he walk does Berhoda walk some of it back and put rainer in the team and uh yeah i think it's it's storylines you don't want around a team uh, but have you got any ideas of, of who may be next in line for the USA job? Well, it's been funny. Jesse March, obviously currently the Leeds manager, feels like he's been kind of making a tour of force <laughs> to try to get the job. Um, I personally would still go with John Herdman, who's currently the Canadian um, manager. I think you pay the man, you give him a lot of money. He's not Canadian, he's English. So there's no difference. I don't. I mean, obviously he's formed a great unity with first coaching the Canadian women's team and now the men's team but I feel like if you pay him enough it's it's the World Cup in 2026 I know it's going to be in Canada but it's also going to be in the US it's a once in a lifetime opportunity for someone um, I think for March or especially March because he's American but even Herdman to to be the manager of a nation <coughs> so you know I'm not saying it's I'm, I'm not you know I don't know <laughs> you know the mindset of John Herdman if he's if he'd be willing to accept the U.S. offer, but I would, if I were, you know, the U.S. men's national team, uh, the federation, I would do everything in my power to try to get John Herdman to be the manager for 2026. Yeah, and obviously money talks, but I, I don't know that he leaves Canada. Um, he's obviously, like you say, he's he's kind of established himself here. He's got a good rapport with the fans, with the media, with the players. Um, yeah an offer on the table can change that i don't know do you see a drastic different in difference in upside from being team usa manager compared to team canada uh, i mean i think the u.s is slightly more talented mm-hmm. but i mean i think look the canadians have plenty of talent obviously they probably have the best player in Concacaf and alfonso davies so i don't think you know taj McCann, you could you know there's obviously a talented canadian squad i just I just think the U.S. team is a little bit deeper, and I just think it's you have more upside than you do yeah. at Canada. Like, what's as talented as Alphonse Davies is? What's the upside? You know, knockout stages for Canada. So, 
you know, I, I think USA is a bad, is just a slightly better job. But look, I mean, yeah, there's plenty of Canadian talent in the pipeline. So, and it's also they're playing games at home this World Cup too. So it's not like, um, you know, as we prepare for 2026, it's not like the Canadian job is a bad job to have either. Right. Okay. Anything else to kind of wrap up before before we close things off tonight? No, I think, you know, we, we have one last great cherry on top for this World Cup, and then we look to the domestic game as we head on in our journey here. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think, look, the bottom line is you want the World Cup final to have two powerhouses. We have two powerhouses. Hopefully it'll be a great game, and uh, the best team wins. For sure. And uh, we will probably try and figure out what our schedule going forward will be a bit more consistent, obviously, with the World Cup. We've been jumping in and out after each round. Um, so we'll probably get some consistency here on the podcast for you so you know when to, to look out for the latest episode. Um, don't forget to check out our website, thewrongfootpodcast.com. More content to come there as well. And uh, follow us on Twitter at wrongfootpod. And then, of course, our email address, thewrongfootpodcast at gmail.com for any comments, feedbacks. Uh, yeah, and we'll be back next week at some point. Review review the final, look at what states are searching for which teams, uh, and probably look ahead to the the upcoming EPL games Boxing starting day. on Boxing, Boxing day. day. Boxing yeah. Day is here. It's coming back. So uh, and guess what? Most Americans actually have it off because it's a Monday after Christmas this year. Oh, so yeah. Um, I mean, the pubs are going to be filled in all fifty states and across <laughs> the English Isles with football. The domestic game, it's back. It's back. Okay. Well, thanks, Joe. Enjoy your evening and, and have a good one. Take care, Rich.